let's explain the topic of climate change. First off, what is it? So climate change refers to the changes that we're seeing in our climate that divert from the averages that we've seen over the 20th century average. So what we're seeing are some anomalies and tendencies that are taking us beyond what used to be considered normal over the last 150 or so years. The climate is always changing, that's true, but it's changing in a way that's leading us out of the norms around which we sort of created our modern civilization. And the reason that climate change is happening is that we've been releasing a lot of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Some are naturally occurring, some have been exacerbated by human activity. But what happens when those heat-trapping gases are present in the atmosphere, they, um, you know, the earth is constantly absorbing radiation from the sun, and those gases tend to trap a lot of that, of that radiation and prevent it from being uh, reflected back out into the outer atmosphere or outside the atmosphere. And so um, it basically functions as kind of a blanket wrapping the earth and trapping those, um, those gases in that heat inside the atmosphere, which causes warming. And then there's a whole um, system of feedback loops and loops upon loops that um, gets pulled into place with um, how the warming ends up playing out. So it's not only increasing temperatures, it's also increasing water vapor in the atmosphere, it's melting ice, of course. The melting ice creates more um, darker areas of ocean, which in turn absorb more heat, which in turn accelerate the melting of the ice. Um, also things like deforestation um, contribute to climate change, um, changes in land use patterns, um, anything that changes the reflectivity of the Earth's surface can um, it can contribute to climate change. There are natural elements too that people talk about a lot, so volcanic eruptions do contribute to climate and solar energy does contribute to climate change and um, periodic effects like El Nino that we're having this year contributes to climate change. Those are all true, but um, none of them can explain the rise in temperatures that we have seen over the last 140 years um, like the man-made um, contributions of greenhouse gas emissions, CO2, methane, and, and other emissions. So it's a combination of natural and anthropogenic factors. Cool. Well, not cool, but interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the difference between a change in climate and a change in weather? Well, weather pertains to like what the conditions are right now. Like today, it's partly cloudy, and it's, I forget what the temperature was. I haven't been outside for a while, mid-40s or so. Um, so that's our weather for today. Those are the conditions. But climate refers to weather over 30-year averages. So we're really looking at long-term trends and patterns in, in what's going on with the weather. So have any of your previous work experiences or positions um, prepared you or given you some experience for the role that you're in now? Yes. Yes and no. <laughs> I have been working on climate change for about six years now in, in Nebraska, so I've been learning a lot about it every year, and I love learning, um, even though it's a difficult subject. Um, so I have I talk to a lot of groups all around the state about this issue regularly, and um, and I always learn from, from people and, and from the questions people ask. Um, I came at this topic from an unconventional background. Um, I'm actually trained as a minister, and um, I started working on this issue out of, um, out of my ministry because I was really concerned with the effects that climate change would have on people. 
And so I, I had a sustainable living ministry at a church here in Lincoln for um, five years. And then um, I left that position to come here and, and work on it at the university. So as a minister, do you ever have instances of faith and science colliding? No, not from my faith background, not at all. It's uh, it's more of an issue of looking at the moral implications of climate change, which I think is a dimension that has been um, not discussed as, as much. It's starting to be discussed a lot more now, but um, looking at the moral implications of the science is what um, a lot more people need to do, I think. How do people react to hearing that you're a minister, but that you also work in climate change? Um, a lot of surprise, really, a lot of furrowed brows. Um, but it's it's been great. I mean, it gets people's attention, and it opens up a lot of conversations. And, and most people are actually really relieved, I think, to hear that people of faith are working on this issue. I, I'm the director of an organization that works with a lot of different faith communities on this issue and encourages them to start talking about it in their congregations and so on. And most people I find, um, most people in Nebraska especially have a connection, a very strong connection to the land. Like a lot of people grew up on, on farms or their grandparents did. Or they have fond memories of going to visit farms or they're just backyard gardeners. Um, but I find a lot of people are really connected to the land. And so a lot of people are feeling the effects of climate change firsthand. Um, I had a lot of friends who were really worried that they were still harvesting tomatoes in November of this past year. And now people are worried that the daffodils are coming up already. So there's the feeling and seeing these changes. And for them to hear that faith communities are starting to address this, it, it's almost reassuring for them to know that, um, that people are connecting these thoughts. So how did you get interested in climate change? What prompted you to make a difference? It was seeing a documentary um, several years ago that was talking about climate change. And I, for the first time, I saw the whole issue laid out in all of its complexity. And I was really disturbed. I kind of left the, the theater trembling that, that afternoon and, and thinking, I need to work on this. You know, this is going to be the biggest challenge facing humanity. And as a minister, my role is to, to help people and to try to provide leadership in, in times of need. And, and I need to, to do that. So at the time, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a science background. I didn't have any way. I didn't know how I would end up working on this. But it's worked out over the years. Was it hard to get into the science side of it, or did you just do a lot of research and pick it up along the way? Yeah, I just read a lot of it. I mean, you know, I don't do climate science, and I don't feel I need to, because we have climate scientists who are doing some really wonderful, worthy work. But I can read the reports they generate, and of course anyone can do that. If I can do it, anyone can. And I would encourage everyone to read the, the reports that are available and to become informed on the issue. Do you have any advice for middle schoolers who are interested in maybe joining a science community or science career? Well, I think it's a fantastic thing to do. I have a middle schooler, actually, who's working on some science projects right now. And I think science is a great thing to get involved in because it can be so creative and so hands-on. And it's a great place to ask questions and to wonder, you know, how does this work? Why is this like that? What happens if you do this with that? So I think it's great for kids to just use, use your imagination and use your curiosity. Um, Kids have so many great questions, and you should never be afraid to ask any question you might have on your mind. Just ask it, and it might become a research project. Tell me about the roundtable discussions that you helped organize. What were they, and what did they accomplish? 
So these were a series of eight sector-based roundtable discussions on the implications of climate change to Nebraska. And so our idea was to gather these stakeholders at eight individual um, sectors that are really important to Nebraska, like agriculture, energy, um, college campuses, public health, um, municipalities, and faith communities, and more, to talk about how climate change is really going to impact each of those sectors. And we wanted to bring together about 50 people into a room for each of these, about a day-long event for each one. We brought in a, um, an expert in that sector to give like a keynote address for each one. And we gave a presentation informing people on the impacts of climate change. And then we just wanted them to talk. You know, whether they knew a lot about climate change or not, whether they, you know, were interested in learning more or didn't really want to hear about it, we still wanted them to come to the table and just have honest dialogue. And so we did that over a period of six or seven weeks last fall. And it was really valuable, really interesting conversation. And we just published a big report that details the results of what we found. And you can find it online, actually, at go.unl.edu slash climate change. Very cool. How about your work with communities? What do you do with them? I get a lot of requests to come and speak to groups, and so it's really diverse. Um, I spoke to the, to the Nebraska Irrigators Association annual conference recently. I spoke to the Omaha Press Club. I spoke to a gathering of faith leaders working on legislative issues. I spoke to the forestry department staff. What's satisfying about that is people from kind of all walks of life are inter are getting more and more interested in climate change and wanting to know more about it. And so I, I go and, and talk and answer questions and try to help people by providing resources. So what do you think the biggest challenge is right now facing the topic of climate change? The biggest challenge is our inertia to act, um, and there are many reasons for that. A lot of people see the need for, for action, and yet even among the people who see the need for it, it's difficult to really make change happen, period, and it's almost impossible to make change happen as quickly as we need it to happen to avoid the most serious consequences of climate change. So in some cases, I'm seeing people are, are resistant to act out of fear, but in like fear of creating conflict or fear of offending their donors or fear of losing their job. But in other cases, I just see that the, the sort of wheels of government or policy or bureaucracy just turn very slowly and it's, it's hard to make change. So that's why it's important for everyone to try to, to speak out and, and make a difference. And I think young people in particular have an important role to play um, because it's young people's future and the old and boring grown-ups listen to young kids. I've seen this happen. We had a youth summit. We held a, a summit for youth, um, teenagers mostly, at the Capitol at the end of January and um, we really wanted to activate those young people to bring their voices to speak to their elected representatives because the representatives really want to hear from young people and it makes a difference when they speak up. So is that the best advice for middle schoolers, to just get out and say something? I think I would say, first of all, learn about the issue. Learn as much as you can from reading articles and reports and asking your teachers for, for more resources. And then the second thing is do everything you can in your own personal life to, to try to lower your carbon footprint, it's called. So that means lowering your energy use and trying maybe not to use as much gasoline or anything that you do that uses energy that ultimately contributes 
to CO2 or methane going into the atmosphere. Just, just think about all those things that are part of your life and see if you can make some changes here and there to reduce your carbon footprint. And then third is, yeah, to speak up. Speak up to your elected representatives and, and your leaders. Your, yeah, our electric utilities are an important place. Our transportation sector is an important place. And our leaders in government, too. So if people want to make a change in their communities, how should they go about doing that? First, you have to identify the kind of change you want to make. And so each technique is going to vary depending on what, what the change is. But for example, if you're at a middle school and you want to start a composting program, and the reason that's important, by the way, is because when, when our regular trash goes to the landfill, when organic matter decomposes, it creates a gas called methane. And methane is um, a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, and it stays in the atmosphere longer. And so it's basically all that decomposing organic matter contributes to climate change. So one of the things you can do about that is compost our food waste instead of putting it in the landfill. When you put it in a compost pile, other organic material starts helping to decompose it and it just kind of turns back into soil. So if you wanted to start that at your school, you might find a group of kids who are also interested in this topic and find a couple of teachers who could support support the project and then sit down and meet with the principal and look at avenues for, for making it happen. And there are several schools, in Lincoln at least, who are already doing this, so there are models to follow, which would really help too. What were some of the observations or evidence that led to, to the discovery of a changing climate. They knew about the greenhouse gas effect going back to the 1890s, I believe it was. Oh, wow. I just heard that recently. So that was a well-known phenomenon that if you have more of these heat-trapping gases, they will um, trap heat in the atmosphere. Um, and I think it was decades ago that climate scientists started um, observing changes in the in the temperature and, and other things, especially since 1970, um, and they started projecting what would happen. Um, and I think the the feeling was in the beginning that the scientists would sort of inform the the rest of the world about this problem, and the world would stop contributing to the problem. But it hasn't played out exactly like that. So it's been a very confusing issue, um, and it's really unfortunate that it had to get so confusing. There's some discussion that humans are the main contributor, or are at least contributing to climate change, and there's other discussions that say humans aren't a contributor. Has there been a human contribution to climate change? Yes, absolutely. Um, there, there are both. There are natural uh, forcings, they call it natural forcings on climate, and human forcings, or anthropogenic forcings. But there are some great graphs. They map out the observed temperature changes, and then they correlate that with several different causal factors, like volcanoes or solar or periodic weather events like El Nino. And the only thing that matches up to explain the correlation with the increased rising temperature is the emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Both are factors, but we wouldn't be where we are now without human, the human contribution of CO2 and other greenhouse gases. Is there a certain industry that's had the most effect on climate change, or is it just a little bit from everybody? Um, the electricity sector is a big one. They're responsible for 40% of carbon dioxide emissions in the United States. That's because of um, mostly because of coal plants um, that put out a lot of CO2. The transportation sector is another big sector responsible for um, greenhouse gas emissions, and then 
and then a lot of us in our regular lives, the things that we do, and then of course industry is, is a big part of it too. What can our listeners change in their everyday lives to help mitigate climate change? Well, um, you can use less energy, you know, and that's not a super direct correlation because of course you don't have CO2 coming out of your home directly, <laughs> but it comes out of the electric company that, or the, the coal plant or whatever kind of plant you may have that's generating the electricity you use. So if you can turn off your light switches, unplug your TV when you're not watching it, um, unplug your Xbox and so on, um, you're going to use less electricity, which is going to um, mean that that power plant up the road is going to have to be burning less coal. So that's one thing you can do. You can also, as I mentioned before, compost your food waste. There are lots of carbon footprint calculators actually online. They'll take you through this questionnaire that asks you lots of questions about how you live, how big your house is, how many people live in it, and then it gives you a score at the end for what your carbon footprint is. So I would recommend that everyone take one of those and um, gives you lots of things to think about. Is climate change permanent or can it be reversed? Climate change cannot be reversed. Even if we stop burning fossil fuels right now on a dime, climate change would still increase significantly by the end of the century. And that's because of the uh, greenhouse gases that are already in the atmosphere that will, that will stay there. The best hope is for us to, to slow down and uh, ultimately to stop, the, stop burning fossil fuels. It is not. Uh, it is not reversible, and, and now people don't really talk about stopping climate change or solving climate change. They talk more about adapting to climate change and mitigating climate change. So that means just making it less bad than it would be otherwise. So, what are the steps that um, people can go through to create a community-based initiative to help slow down that population's effect on climate change? Well, I think the first thing to do is do an assessment of a community's carbon footprint. So look at the areas in the community where that are responsible for the most um, CO2 emissions, and then look at how to, to cut those. So um, as I was describing earlier, compost, any composting program is one um, strategy that's going to cut methane, and that makes a big difference. Um, and the community might look at, is there a, a coal plant in their in their community or are they drawing their electricity from a utility that uses coal plants? And if that's the case, the community could organize like an advocacy effort to ask their utility to stop burning coal. Um, so I would probably do an assessment like from the local, like from the small scale to the large scale. So start with, you know, your household and your lifestyle and then start with your, then go to your school or your workplace and then go to your um, community level and just kind of assess where the biggest sources of greenhouse gas emissions are and then um, look at how to, how to cut those or how to advocate to cut those. Do you have any other advice for middle schoolers to help get involved in climate change and slowing down the effects? Well, we need the, the next generation to, um, to come up with all kinds of awesome solutions to work on this issue. So, you know, one time I gave a talk to a group of nine-year-olds and they were, they asked such great questions about renewable energy and about how to power electric cars and things like that. And so I would just encourage all the kids who are, um, who are interested to, to work on finding creative solutions to have new kinds of energy, you know, new kinds of energy that are just powered by the sun, 
powered by wind, powered by water, powered by anything that is uh, natural and totally renewable and doesn't have any emissions. Um, it's going to be a really exciting future out there, and um, and it's these middle schoolers of today who are going to make it happen. So where can our listeners go to find resources to learn more um, either about community involvement or for resources on the topic of climate change? Well, you can go to our website, which is www.go.unl.edu slash climate change. We have uh, resources there from the university. And then um, if you want basic information on climate change impacts to the United States, I would recommend the National Climate Assessment Report. And there are just tons of other resources available online that are, um, that are treating this issue from a variety of standpoints. Climate and youth, there are some really interesting youth organizations nationwide working on this issue. Um, and there are some great Nebraska efforts as well focused on this. Very cool. Is there anything else you'd like to add or that you'd like our listeners to know? I would just encourage everyone to be part of the solution um, and not not give not worry about fear. I mean, climate change is a serious issue and it's a source of worry, but there are actually a lot of opportunities in climate change as well. And I would encourage all the young people to take advantage of of the opportunities for innovation and um, the opportunities to really make ourselves into a better state and a better world uh, that's run on clean energy. Well, folks, that's all the time that we have. Thank you, Kim, for the interesting conversation and taking the time to speak with us today. Um, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Streaming Science. I'm your host, Rachel Noe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>